two. Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got a jam-packed edition of The Deciding Point as we know what the draw looks like at the 2023 ITA Division I National Indoor Championships. We're going to break down all of the round of 16 women's matchups. We're going to offer predictions for each of those eight matches. We'll also look at the seeding decisions that were ultimately made by the committee. We'll talk about all the past results we've seen over the last week, how they impact how we look at each of these matchups approaching. Just more broadly, it's going to be a phenomenal edition of the show. I've done six podcasts already today. This is the one I was looking most forward to. We save the best for last. And the reason I feel that way is because I am joined by Elite Company once again on today's show. Of course, you know him best as the returning champion of returning champions here at Cracked Rackets, founder of the No Ad, No Problem blog and podcast and co-host of these deciding point episodes throughout the course of the 2023 season. It's my Dear friend, John J. Parsons. Jay, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. It's finally upon us. The National Indoors is here. I will see you in Seattle soon, my friend. But how excited are you for this weekend's action? I am very excited. I feel like the release of the draw made it feel extremely real, mm-hmm. seeing the logos facing the logos, and we're getting brackets. So very excited to break this down and looking forward to seeing you in person in Seattle. I am looking forward to hugging you, my friend. You know I'm a <laughs> hugger. We'll do it immediately. And I will say you talk about that draw being released, it feeling real. We are currently trying to interview all 16 of the head coaches who will be competing this weekend in Seattle. And if you haven't heard or found any of those interviews, you can see them all over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed or the beautifully redesigned website, CrackedRackets.com. But in the midst of an interview with Vanderbilt head coach Aliki Subanos, that is when the draw came out. I got her live reaction to oh. everything. It was a fun moment for people to look forward to in what have all been, again, very enjoyable interviews thus far. But yeah. It's real. As I've said in each of the episodes, let's roll roll the balls out. Let's find out who's good, who's not. What are the strong spots? Who are the MVP candidates? Who is that girl here in this 2023 season? We get to at least take a step closer to all of those answers after this weekend. And again, our plan here on today's show is to run you through all of the round of 16 matchups, of course, will have coverage from first ball to last of these 2023 National Indoor Championships on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. It starts at 12 p.m. Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific again, Friday morning championship on Monday. We'll have it all for you on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel for free. Shout out to the ITA. Shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff, the hardest working man in all of tennis. With that said, before... Before we get into what will be a jam-packed episode filled with previewing, we have to, of course, give a shout-out to the people who make these episodes possible, our dear friends at LS and Swing Vision. And look, I would be wearing my LS gear right now. It had to be washed. I wore that LS sweatshirt each and every day in Cleveland. It was mistakenly, and I say mistakenly because I'm stupid, you should pack more than one sweatshirt when temperatures are going to be under 10 degrees. It was the only one I had. Thank God I did. 
It's so comfortable. It's so stylish. As Jay pointed out in episode one this year, it makes me look like I have shoulders. So shout out to our friends at LS. We are so happy to have them on the team. Proud sponsors of this show to learn more. Just click on the link in the description to these episodes. Of course, a shout out to our returning sponsor, Swing Vision as well. There was a little brouhaha on tennis Twitter about a call that was making the rounds. And yes, that call was outrageous, but I just always think diving into those things is just niche not great. It's just an unkosher place to be. But you know what's going to make those calls obsolete? As soon as Swing Vision is on every court in college tennis, because Swing Vision's artificial intelligence technology makes automated line calling possible. It also, when you use it in practice sessions, will just make your life easier. It'll show you the makes. It'll show you the misses. It'll break down each stroke by category. Again, Swing Vision can do all these things all within one app. Download it today. Learn more by clicking on the link in the description to your podcast. Of course, use our promo code crack 20 when you do sign up shout out to our friends at ls and swing vision proud sponsors of the deciding point with that said jay let's start big picture look at the draw and those of you tuning in live on youtube welcome back we're happy to answer your questions throughout today's show but we want to start big picture just for those who are unfamiliar, how this national women's indoor events differs from the men's, they only see the top eight. After that, there are intricate rules, right? You can't play someone from your conference. You can't play someone on your schedule. There are different things that go in to creating this draw, but they only see the top eight. That's the headline fact that I think listeners and fans of college tennis need to know. And ultimately, your top eight seeds at this year's event, you have number one, Texas, number two, North Carolina, number three, A&M, number four, Duke, number five, Stanford, number six, Ohio State, seven is Virginia, eight is Vanderbilt. Jay, I ask you, your biggest qualms with this seeding, what do you think they got right as well? Well, there were, you know, two and a half changes here that really impacted the seating. And the first one was the big mover in Ohio State, right? So Ohio State moves from last week's rankings of 11 all the way up to number six. That's on the heels of beating Oklahoma State 4-3 and then demolishing Georgia at home 4-0. So they move all the way up to six. The half is that as a result of that, Georgia moves down you know from number five all the way outside outside eight we don't know if they're nine ten eleven but they're outside the top eight so that was the biggest change that from last week's rankings the other one that i think has ultimately a big ripple effect is that they flipped pepperdine and vanderbilt from last week's rankings so last week pepperdine was eight this week uh, and vanderbilt was nine Vanderbilt gets seated eight, Pepperdine nine. That one felt like the the qualm that I would have is I'm not sure there's any reason to have flipped Vanderbilt and Pepperdine based off of this last week's result. And I think if you had kept that, right, you wouldn't have had the Pepperdine-North Carolina first round match. One could argue maybe a little bit more even a distribution of some of these top teams. Vanderbilt at eight probably feels like the the stretch. I don't have any qualms with moving up Ohio State. Maybe you have a qualm about Georgia moving out of the top eight. But those are the three teams that were kind of had impacted by seating changes. Well, I think it's worth noting 
the biggest villain in the seating committee for the seating committee this year was Mother Nature. The fact that Pepperdine didn't get to play Cal or Stanford last yep. weekend, if they go even one and one in those matches, they're a top eight seed. And that's the difference, right? Is to some extent. Now, here's my only qualm is there are two differing thoughts. Body of work mattered. And I appreciate that from this seating committee. There would have it would have been outrageous for Ohio State, who has probably the four best wins right now in Tennessee, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State and Georgia to have not been a top eight seed like their body of work in 2023. Put it up against any school. It's the best. And so they had to be a top eight seed. Totally understand that. Here's the thing. Like, again, who has better wins, Pepperdine or Vanderbilt? Vanderbilt does even beyond just NC state. Like they beat Northwestern as well. This Vanderbilt team, a win over Louisville, a win over Furman, you know, again, through no fault of their own. And I'm sure pair and Pete will be like, we're even scheduling January 7th next year because we're never letting this happen to us again. They got screwed by mother nature. If you're playing this year's results, I think these seeds are pretty accurate. Here's the thing though. If you're playing this year's results, Texas probably shouldn't be one. And, you know, again, that would maybe I get North Carolina, too. They do have a good win over Georgia. They're the three time defending champs. I think that should matter. But like, again, that would be why I don't have a qualm is they kind of played this year's results. I don't think that's true. I okay. think there are a lot, a lot of teams that and this is one of my takeaways from this draw is there's a lot of teams that are highly seated in this draw. We have no idea how good they are right you know who has duke played who has texas a&m played who has virginia played those are all top eight seeds we're not basing this purely off of results from the season pepperdine yeah they're two and oh they've literally only played two matches in kickoff weekend but there needs to be some balance right vanderbilt beating nc state without schneider that's a good win is it a win that should warrant being a top eight seed above top eight seeds prior based on them not losing? I don't think so. I think also Virginia arguably does not deserve the eight seed as well. So, yeah, you know, there are a lot of teams in here that we don't, we haven't seen, doesn't have nearly the resume of an Ohio State, um, but they still are seeded. Yeah, if Ohio State would have been the only change, you're right. Maybe that would have made a little bit more sense. But still, uh, you know, again, there's a lot of parity. Yeah, what did Vanderbilt do this past week to earn the flip over Pepperdine? Would be but my they question. beat NC State. What has Pepperdine done in 2023 period other than win two matches at kickoff weekend? Right, but why would we be factoring in their NC State win again, right? Well, that already was baked into last week's rankings. Well, but I'm saying maybe that was the original mistake is having Pepperdine above them even initially. And to mm-hmm. your point, I agree with you. Like, I think Pepperdine should be in a top eight seed. I I understand the logic. I disagree with it. I would also say if you're going with this year's body of results, Michigan should probably be flipped. I like the Michigan Virginia matchup makes sense. 2023 body of work. Michigan should probably be the seventh seed there. But like, again, looking at this board more broadly, not just seeding, the only outrageous matchup I see first round is Pepperdine, North Carolina, where I, again, those are two of our top seven teams entering the 2023 season in our preseason poll. And obviously they're both undefeated. Obviously both of them faced off last year against one another in the NCAA quarterfinals. 
I know Oklahoma Duke, by the way, is an NCAA semifinal. That's a really good matchup. But look, Oklahoma had to be penalized, right, for the three losses that they've taken early in the season. There was just no world where they were going to be a top eight seed, given the results they have had. That's the only I mean, that's the only big picture, like where if you're both fan bases, you're like, how does this happen? Other than that, Jay, what are your other big picture takeaways? Well, I do think this is a pretty lopsided draw, but what's interesting is that I think it's lopsided because there are pockets of uh, very difficult spots, individual matches, right? You look at an Iowa State versus Vanderbilt and a Michigan-Virginia. Those are pretty even matches, but relative to a match like UNC Pepperdine or even Stanford-Georgia, like it's a little uh, heavyweight versus non-heavyweight and so I think that there could be a little bit more even distribution. I think that Pepperdine seeding is is a little criminal. Well, the Pepperdine is the toughest. That's for sure. I don't think I can agree with you in Georgia because they've just lost too many matches. Like they lost, lost at two. UNC. Yeah, but but again, it's early in the season. Like given how good some of these other teams have been, that's how thin the margins are right now. And I, I again, don't think that's it, fair. Well, here's the thing that they seed one through eight. Like there can only be eight seeds. I think the resume of the eight. Well, the Stanford. That's, see, that's yeah. I mean, like, but it's so thin. Like, it's always going to be tough choices, no matter what. And again, I think more broadly, like, let's look big picture: left side versus right side of the draw. I think pretty balanced in terms of you've got big schools on each side and big picture. Like again, whatever the final matchup is, I think it'll end up making sense. Like I, I do think, like obviously, again, Pepperdine, UNC is the juggernaut. Other than that, it feels pretty balanced. Uh, I mean, from a a half perspective, I think you could maybe argue that. The problem is that you have some of these, like like the Delta in the Texas versus Duke quarter is massive, right? The Pepperdine versus UNC being a first round match rather than a potential quarter, right? A huge difference. So like half maybe, but those pockets make it a pretty undistributed draw. Well, here's the thing. I think if you look at the quarterfinals, if it all holds seed, Texas yeah. Vanderbilt, Stanford Duke, A&M Ohio State, North Carolina, Virginia, all those matchups make sense as quarterfinal matchups. Now, again, the one team you feel like is missing is certainly Pepperdine, and we've covered that at length. But, like, I don't mind the draw. I think this was always going to be a, a tournament filled with parody. I've said I think 4-2 is the magic number, and I see a lot of 4-2s on the board, Jay. Yeah, I definitely do. Yeah. Uh, my one other takeaway is okay. how is the broadcasting going to work for the quarterfinals? I see that we are at two different sites here. We're in discussions. That's okay. where, oh yeah, we'll leave Got that it. for now because okay. yes, that's something that was noticed as well. And so we'll leave that there. But ideally they would all be at one site. I agree with you. Again, I like the matches. Certainly, you're right. That Duke. Oh my God, I'm looking at that Duke quarter now. I mean, both of the bottom quarters. But like, there were there were nine good teams coming into this, or eleven good teams, like maybe even sixteen good teams. So I do think this was always going to be like this. I will say, I was there. La- well, you know what? I'll get into that when we get into our previews. With that said, Jay, you ready to break down these matches? Let's do it. All right, let's go quarter by quarter. Let's start top left, Texas. 
two-time defending NCAA champions, your number one seed. They're taking on a Washington team that obviously, as the host, did not participate in the kickoff weekend. They're, I believe, five and one, lost a tough match to Wisconsin. Although, I think one of my, and I apologize to all these coaches, but I'm not going to name who they are, but I've had this conversation with a lot of them. There's a lot of recognition that like Wisconsin's very good this year. And so I, I don't throw out that was, you know, again, I don't think that's a bad loss by Washington, particularly this early in the season. And look, you could argue Washington's the more experienced team. They bring back returners at the number one, two, three spots and Astrid Olsen's finally healthy playing again. They bring in a couple of transfers from Columbia, a freshman with a ton of junior slam experience. This is how you know I just did the Washington interview, folks. I'm going to be on top of my game here today. And I had to step it up. Yeah, look, five of the Washington players all have dual match experience. Like, yes, I mean, again, everyone does at this point of the season. But as we talked about in our preview, where do all the pieces fit? for this Texas women's tennis team. Yes, there are some familiar faces. You have back, you know, a, a Charlotte Shavathapan. You have back a couple of the sophomores in Uvrutsky and in Zainalova. You bring in Marley Zane, who certainly has plenty of experience. Tasha Pachkaleva, who has plenty of experience. Rapalu as well. And then, you know, the newbies, Rivkin, Kieran. Where do they fit in? I'll say this, and this was the perfect tease. I was there last year when a ruckus Seattle crowd helped propel the Washington men to play the Ohio State top-seeded Buckeyes very, very close. And that was an extraordinary match. And anytime you go into a match with Clement Sheedek, you're feeling pretty good about life. But like, I mean, again, this Washington team has some serious talent. Uh, I'm blanking on the name of their number two, Sarah Maud, uh last Four name ten. I'm blanking on. Yeah, Fountain, who has dropped like three dual matches over the course of the past two years at the number two spot. You love her experience there. They are the home crowd. This is a Friday night match. This one's frisky. We're making the case for each team. Jay, let's start with the top seeded Texas Longhorns. Well, I have to adjust a few things. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I don't know why you need these coaches to tell you that Wisconsin is good. I have been on that bandwagon for several weeks no, now. I have been on that bandwagon since last year. Come on now. That is true. That's very yeah. true. Um, and also, uh, Washington's number two is the one win that they did get over Wisconsin. Right. Uh, I will say that the rest of those five singles matches were all in straight sets. You know, that's a Wisconsin team that isn't at indoors. So, you know, that's challenging. I think you just made the, the case for Washington, right? I mean, this is going to be a home crowd night match Friday night. If they can turn out the crowd. Yeah, they're going to be facing a Texas team that does have freshmen right and inexperience on that roster that they will need right nicole kieran at number one they've been playing rivkin at number six um so there will be this will be a, a new experience for many of those uh, texas players certainly the rest of the roster is sprinkled in with a lot of experience but texas has never performed that well here at indoors you look at last year that was a struggle for them so that's the case for washington you know the case for texas is that they looked great against usc this past week they you know blitzed usc 6-1 the one match they lost was maddie sieg at number one from usc so look they look really strong they've started this season stronger than they started last season relatively i think what you like about this texas team is that you know there isn't a peyton stearns at number one that you feel is like a lock of locks but one through six right the drop off is next to nothing um and so you don't feel like there are any vulnerable 
spots. And if one or two players are off, you feel like there's enough pieces there uh, to make up the parts. Yeah. I mean, again, looking for this Texas team. Yes, they did get the 6-1 win over USC. They had three three-set matches, all, uh, you know, two of which broke their way. Obviously, Kieran C go three sets. That's a fascinating matchup between two freshmen. Rapalu, Pachkaleva able to win each of their matches in three sets as well. This team has depth, but the delta between them and the rest of the field is not nearly as big as it was in 2021. And certainly without Peyton Stearns, you feel like it's not quite there either in 2020, uh, in 2020, uh, without Peyton Stearns, this 2023 team, maybe that Delta is still not there, uh, as big as that was as well by the end of the year, they're untested, they're deep, they're talented. They've gotten some wins. More importantly, they've looked like they found some teams in doubles, which I just think is going to be so critical throughout the course of this event. You were very succinct in those previews. And if you keep that efficiency, Jay, this show will not be as long as some may dread it will be. Let's go. Question two, most likely calculi. Let's start with Washington. If they win, what's their path to four? Uh, doubles on right on the path uh, on the momentum of the crowd, right? Home crowd advantage, take dubs. Definitely number two, right? Uh even though Shavathapan had looked very strong. Um, and then two, two other singles victories. Yeah. Uh, I go Sato at one and maybe Sakar at... No, no, no. Yeah, Sakar at five. Okay. Or Saker. I might have said it wrong. I apologize. Um, that would be my path. What's the Texas? I mean, I think they can find four points uh across the board here i don't know if there's necessarily a calculus that they will rely on and i actually think that's going to be the case for this texas team against all of these teams i don't think that there is like one spot that really pings for for texas i mean shavathapan and zainalova have both looked good to start the season and that's excellent news for texas probably four five and six or maybe the spots you're thinking like we can maybe find some wins there yeah, six and zero wins over to uh, Tulane, SMU, Baylor, USC, uh, amongst others. Yeah, they all right. Haven't... Give me, give me the pick then. A Texas score, four zero. Yeah, I want this. I want the the school and score for all of them. Uh, by the okay. way, all right then. Let's let's continue moving down in this Texas quarter. Obviously, a very frisky matchup between two teams with a ton of veterans. Top to bottom in eighth seeded Vanderbilt taking on Iowa State. Vandy obviously went to NC State, beat the Wolfpack. Sons, Diana Schneider, but still an impressive 4 3 victory, particularly given they dropped doubles for Iowa State, wins over UCLA and Miami in the kickoff weekend. First time this program will have competed at the National Indoors. First time since 2019 that Vanderbilt's been there. Start with the eighth seeded Commodores. What's the case for them in this match? What do you like as their biggest strengths? Well, first off, this is a great first round for both of these teams because they will leave indoors. One of them will leave indoors with a win over a top 16 team, right? Sure. And they will get to face potentially Texas in that second round. So they're both very happy with this draw. It feels like a winnable draw for both of them. Looking at well, these just to that point quickly, you're right, because pound for pound, each of these teams have more like more experienced players than Texas. And it's funny because I think it's the first time for every player on the Vanderbilt Iowa State rosters that they've played the indoors. I mean, Kieran, Rivkin, 
they've only played, you know, this will be their first. Zane's played one, maybe two for Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, I know she played last year, but like, you're right. Like there, it, it's not the worst draw. Yeah, it's not the worst draw, but at least getting through this first round is is winnable, right? And is is important. You can stay motivated there, not playing these consolation matches. And I also think these two teams are very evenly matched up and down the lineup. But, you know, we've talked about Iowa State. I mean, one through six, extremely strong. Same thing with Vanderbilt. That has been the team strength. There are other teams that we will eventually get to. It seems like we're talking about like all of these teams. Oh, one through six is the same. It's not the case on some of these teams. But for Vanderbilt and Iowa State, the depth is there. They can win at any position. I think if you are Vanderbilt, I think it probably comes at... It's going to be tough. I mean, I don't know if I like... Maybe... Bellamore is going to have a shot at Naclo at that number one spot. That's that's yep. a that's a popcorn matchup because yep. Bellamore is, I think, you know, she had a really successful fall, I think 16 and seven at the number uh, overall on the year. And obviously Naclo has been a top 35 player over the course of the past two seasons. Again, that's the thing is how many toss ups there are. It's like Ross, you know, yep. staff and you know, Lee Stevens, you feel like they have similar levels of experience and success as that Iowa State court of, you know, Obi and, you know, Anna and just, again, Sophia up and down the, the roster and each of them incorporating one new player. Now, Bridget Stamel's probably been, you know, about as good as any freshman we've seen in the country, not named Brantmeyer Blokina thus far. Um, like, it, it, it comes down to doubles. Who do you like yeah. more in doubles? I lean Iowa State in this match. I think that I know that Vanderbilt has the NC State win, but Iowa State was impressive in kickoff weekend, particularly their match over Miami. I like the fight of this team. Vanderbilt is bringing a few players back from injury. Uh, It helps with depth. I like Naclo at one. Uh, So I'm leaning Iowa State in this match. We're going to do this retroactively. I'm going to ask you for each of these. You have to pick one swing match in singles. Start with Washington, Texas. Who do you pick? Oh, well, I mean, number two, right? Okay. And that's like a must win for Washington. What's the swing match in this one? I'll go the winner of uh, Naclo and Belmore wins the match. Wow. It's yeah. always nice when it comes down to the number one spot. Again, depth, experience everywhere. And with how good Stamel has been, she's picked it up, handed a glove. And I asked Coach Subanis about her and, you can go check that out over on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed. You're saying 4-3 Cyclones? Uh, it's 4-3 either way. I'm going 4-3 Cyclones in this one. Aliki versus Boomer is fun. And by the way, fun subplot of this match, Boomer Saya, former volunteer assistant at what school, Jay? Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt, indeed. He was there, I believe, that 2016 season before headed off to Texas Tech and then subsequently yeah. Iowa State. So fun little subplot there. But again, Jay, first upset picked of the draw he's taken the cyclones over the commodores let's move on now to stay on the left side we'll go to the bottom half now blue blood versus blue blood stanford versus georgia now this has been an ncaa semi-final final national indoor semi-final final we've seen these two play at the biggest stages before obviously new iterations for these teams look we were all looking forward to seeing stanford tested by pepperdine last weekend unfortunately that match gets rained out though pepperdine does take the doubles 
I mean, look for the Georgia Bulldogs. Yes, it's two losses, but let's be clear. They lost to North Carolina and they lost to the hottest team to start the 2023 season in Ohio State. And you still feel like for this Georgia team, they're trying to figure out what should their six pieces be. Meanwhile, Stanford, of course, you work in a couple of uber talented freshmen. You bring back returners like Yepa Fanova, Ma and Blake and Choi and just they got options. This is a phenomenal round of 16 match. Jay, let's start with the fifth seeded Cardinal. Talk to me about their pathway to victory. Well, it starts with it's it starts with doubles because you know Georgia needs to figure out doubles, right? Had they were up big in that North Carolina match in doubles at one and two doubles, they ended up losing that doubles point to North Carolina. That ultimately could have determined the match, right? You know, least we rem- forget that, you know, Leah Ma hands Fiona Crawley her first loss of the academic season at number one. Dasha Vidmanova beats Reese Brantmeyer at number two. There were what, four three setters? Yeah. And then all the all these other ones were, were four three sets. I mean, this was a very close match with North Carolina on the road. It made that loss in Columbus, which was just a I mean, it was a total blowout. It made that almost just so shocking. You're like, I don't really know what to do with this loss. Like what's the real Georgia here? Um, You know, but Stanford comes in. I mean, no secrets about this Stanford team, right? We know the, there are six players that you're going to see there. I think the challenge that Stanford has is this is one team that I look at that is significantly better outdoors than they are indoors, particularly at five and six singles. And I think we saw that struggle indoors last season when they went on the road and played Virginia in the first you know, two rounds there. It's going to be tough for Stanford to overcome being indoors here. I think if you are Stanford, you're going to have to rely heavily on the top of their lineup in Connie Ma, Sasha Yepafanova, and one of you know Angelica Blake or Alexis Blockina. They certainly have the talent. Um, so that's the that's the Stanford recap. Am I, as Alexander Scott Gruskin, good enough at tennis to go by Sasha Scott? Why would you go by? Oh, because I'm an uh, Alexander, too. Yeah, but you're not, uh, you know, you're not Eastern European. I mean, there's some Polish relatives. You've seen my <laughs> eyebrows like there were a lot of us one many moons ago before. Uh, for yeah, Sasha Gruskin. Could, yeah, for reasons people can imagine, we had to immigrate elsewhere. Um, but yeah, I um I mean, again, the Stanford team is fascinating because you look at that top four of Yepafanova, Ma, Blokina, and uh, Blake, and, you know, what order will they play them in? Obviously, we've seen a little platoon system. Connie Ma's worked her way back up to the top of the lineup. Will it be Blake, Blokina, three or four, probably Blake at that three spot? It's a very good team. And indoors, you like the weapons of Yepafanova, of Blake, of Blokina. How about Yepafanova, Vidmanova? Uh, that I mean, is battle of the ovas. Time. Battle of the ovas is big time tennis on well, court number two. So on the flip side, you talked about Georgia. They draft five first sets in singles and doubles against Ohio State on the road. They go on the road against North Carolina. If nothing else, they're tested. And yeah. obviously, you know, things got frisky between them and Notre Dame as well in the ITA kickoff weekend, at least after they dropped the doubles point. What's their match calculus? What's their pathway to four? So this is tough because I think that you know, clearly they're playing North Carolina and they take top two singles. They're going to feel good about top two singles against any team. 
Ooh, I don't know if you like either of those matchups with strength on strength. It's strength on strength. Exactly. Look, the strength of this Georgia team is going to be their depth over Stanford. And it's going to be at five and six because they are going to have players who can likely overpower either Valencia shoe or Sarah Choi indoors Two players who don't have the weapons indoors and don't play indoors. Right. So they're looking at getting five and six off the bat. I think number three is also where they're looking at Mel Riasco, you know, who stepped up into that number one position at the end of last season for Georgia. Now at three, I think that's one that they will really like over Angelica Blake uh, of Stanford. And then who would be at four? Oh my, my gosh. Kowalski versus Blockina, you know, freshman versus fifth year. That's Contrast of battle. styles. Contrast yeah. and styles. Absolutely. I think, you know, this in a lot of ways comes down to, Vidmanova Yepifanova because I think that would most I mean Kowalski can beat Blockina. She has the experience to do it, but I mean Vidmanova was impressive against Brantmeyer. I mean, disregarding what happened in Columbus, you know, I think she can also take she has the weapons to take on Yepifanova indoors. Yeah. But I actually look at this match and there are three um there are three matches in singles that Georgia likes a lot. Well, what are what are your candidates? Well, obviously, again, the big question is still. Hurdle, Lapata, Grant, Narundorn, who exactly will be in those five and six spots? Because they have switched things up a little bit early here in the season. By the way, Kevin Laracy chimes in. He says he thinks Ma gets the win at that number one spot. Uh, That's Ma cheeky. Over Leah Ma. Yeah, you see what he did there? I That's see good. what he did there. That's good. Um, shout out to him for the pun that had to be made. All right, then. Money where the mouth is. Who's winning this match, Jay? Yeah, I go Georgia. I think that the Columbus match was not Georgia's best. I think that that Georgia team against North Carolina is much closer to the Georgia that we will see throughout the season. And I think this is Stanford's first indoor ma- first indoors match in a year, more than a year. And I think Georgia takes it. All right. Uh, okay. You want scoreline. I'll go 4-2. What's your swing match? Well, I think that... I mean, I think if Vidmanova beats Yepifanova, then Georgia wins this match. Um, the 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 bellwether would probably be Sarah Choi of Stanford at six and whoever Georgia plays at six. Yeah. And again, we were robbed of that opportunity to see Stanford tested against Pepperdine this past yep. weekend. Who was the other match against? It was Pepperdine and... Well, no, Pepperdine was playing Stanford and Cal. Oh, just back to back. It was just the one for them, I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, again, it's a fascinating matchup two of the bluest blue bloods in college tennis, and they're playing round of 16, a testament to this year in the sport. Let's go to that final matchup on the left side of the draw. It's a rematch of the ITA kickoff weekend from last year. It's a rematch of the NCAA semifinal. And in fact, Duke women's tennis had four losses last season. Two of them were to their first round opponents, the Oklahoma Sooners, who of course entered the match five and three losses on the road at NC State at Duke. Uh, excuse me, at NC State, at Michigan, at Ohio State. But again, this group beat this Duke team twice last season. And yes, there are some new faces for this Duke team. No doubt about it. Mora, Schwetz, Brisgalova, I think, yeah. right, is the other one. Yes, shout out to the brain. She's a transfer. Yeah, obviously you've seen Emma Jackson take a major step up here early in the season. How healthy is Drummy? How healthy is Schwetz? You know, on the Oklahoma side of things. 
how do they rebound after the early season struggles? I implore everyone to go check out the podcast, not because it's always a pleasure to speak with Coach Cohen, but because Coach Cobra joins us on the show as well. And it was very, very fun. It's always a pleasure to speak with that duo. And look, this is what they have circled on the calendar. This group came to college tennis fame last year at the national indoors when they reached the finals. They beat Texas. They beat Pepperdine. They were sensational. They were up a set and uh, doubles point, I think four first sets, right? Against North Carolina, whatever it was. It's a great matchup. It's going to be really fun, Jay. We'll start with the number four seeded Duke. They beat Wisconsin in the kickoff weekend 4-1. It's a team that hasn't played a ton together, but individually, Schwetz has played the indoors. Mora's won it every time she's played it the last three years, even if it's at North Carolina. Obviously, players like Drummy, back, you're ready to go to war with. Jackson and you know whomever else were part of the semifinal run last year. Give me the case for this Duke team. Well, uh, talk about circling this match. I mean, they are going to want to beat Oklahoma, right? I mean, this is a very full circle moment. This is where the the Duke match for Oklahoma is where it all began last year in that second round of kickoff weekend and where things really went south for Duke team until they, you know, found steam in, in April, right? So, I mean, you, neither team is going to need to get up for this match. They are going to be looking forward to this one. You know, I think with Duke, you feel really good about Chloe Beck at one. You feel good about her at, at anywhere else. So I think that's one position Duke feels really good about. I think Georgia Drummy, you know, not playing two right now and playing either three or four, wherever they slot her in, that's a match you feel very good about. That's someone who was what undefeated at the number two position last year. You like Duke in doubles. They have a lot of pieces that they can factor in, including uh, Carolina Barankova, who doesn't play singles. So she'll be fresh not only for this match, but just throughout the tournament. So there are definitely points that Duke likes. And I think all of those points they would like against this Oklahoma team as well. I think the questions for this Duke team is going to be of those now sophomores in Emma Jackson and Ellie Coleman and the grad transfers right in Bryce Glova or Svech, who who factors in there. Uh, at at three through six and and how they perform, you know, for those uh, most of those players playing their first time. Yeah, uh, very well said. And I was having this conversation with some coaches off the record, you know, again, of all the players in college tennis, you could have one from any other roster in the country. Who would you pick? And I think there's three candidates right now, excluding Diana Schneider. I think Chloe Beck is certainly one of them. I think Fiona Crawley's on that list. I think Savannah Brodus is on that list. I think like that's the list right now. Like if you ask any coach, hey, you get to poach any player in the country. I think those are the first three names that would come to mind. Am I crazy? No, th- those are all on the short list. Yeah, I think that's I think that is the short list, as a matter of fact. And look again, how healthy is Drummy? That's the question. Will yep. she be at the four spot, the three spot? You know, where where do they put Jackson? You're right. How many of the Ivy League transfers do we see in action? But it's an experienced Duke team that, to your point, will have this match circled. Flip side, Oklahoma. They've played around with the singles lineup. Doubles has gone really well. I mean, they've taken yep. the doubles point every match that they've played. It's just, will they find their rhythm in singles? Give me the case. What do you like? Yeah, I mean, it's tough for Oklahoma. I feel like they kind of got the um, the air bursted from their balloon a little bit and going to North Carolina State. 
uh, and being the first victim of Diana Schneider's eligibility, you know, having her in the lineup, um, tough for them to you know, lose that on the road six one. So it's like another rebound, right? We talked about this when they go on the road, losing to Michigan and Ohio State. They have to rebound for kickoff. They go on the road, NC State, lose. They got to rebound for indoors. So I think you're right. Doubles has consistently looked solid. If it's not the Corleys at one, two and three are coming in. Corley's getting the win. They just need one other. So I think you really like uh, you really like doubles for Oklahoma. Donna Guzman, I think, has been in good form all season. And it's a question of, you know, how well Carmen Corley is playing on that given day. And then four through six, right? You have Staker, uh, you know, Garcia, and most likely Pisareva there. Kind of how do those pieces factor in? I think in looking at this matchup against Duke, I think Oklahoma will favor some of those pieces at the four through six spot because at least Staker, Pisareva, those players have been extremely clutch for them in these tight moments and likely facing opponents in Duke who either haven't been in these sorts of tight moments or are, are, are new to these tight moments. Um, so doubles is certainly a must. I think if you ask about what's the what's the match, I think it's doubles here because if it's just a if Oklahoma doesn't get it, I don't think they get the win. For Oklahoma to get this match, they got to take doubles. They have to have Carmen Corley at two over Cam Mora. They need to have Emma Staker at four, and they need to have Pisa Rave at six. Are we sure Staker's going to be at four? Uh, Sleeth, Corley, Guzman. Maybe you play Ruiz at four? At four. Given, you know, again, it's been about equal success between the two of them. Yeah, maybe. I mean, that was certainly on the horizon, right? Yeah. Uh, as as a potential. I think either way, you know. No, I I, like... again, it's parity between the two. It's not a bad yeah. option either way. I'm just just something I'm floating. Yeah. Um, no, I I think this team is going to be again. I think this is going to be a battle, and it's interesting. You see such a clear cut match calculus. Certainly five and six, given the experience Oklahoma has in that top four or top three, excuse me, four, five, six, you feel like for Oklahoma. Yes, that is where their experience may shine through. I do wonder which coach likes this matchup more, Coach Cohen or Coach Ashworth. And when it's like, again, if you're Oklahoma, it's like, we know this Duke team. If you're Duke, it's like, we want this Oklahoma team. Um, well, it's interesting. they don't know this Duke team, right? Because they're now looking at a Duke team with, you know, Cam I don't know Mora. They know Mora. They saw her last year. Yeah. I mean, they know the pieces. Right. Yeah. But it's a much more whole Oklahoma team for Duke. Right. These are sure. basically the these are the exact same players. Um, so it's a little easier in that regard. Like the Duke fourth three through six. And it, like it's a lot. Of, it's it's things are happening down there. It's like a, a revolving door for some of these players. Yeah. So I think, what, it, you know, we'll yeah. see. All right. Well, then with that said, what is your swing match? You said for Oklahoma, it's doubles. What does Duke need to get? Well, the, the match calculus for Duke, I think they can do it without doubles. I think they definitely need to get Chloe back at one. Uh, I think they need to get Drummy wherever she is at either three or four. And then Emma Jackson at three or four. Gosh, I mean, if, if I'm Duke, I just want to sl- sweep the top four. Yeah, I think four is the swing match. I really do. Yeah, like if it's Garcia versus uh, Jackson at that spot, 
uh, yeah, versus Jackson at that spot. That's a battle. Like, yeah. lock in. I think that's the winner of that one wins the match. With that in mind, who you taking, Jay? This is a really t- this is a, the the toughest prediction for me. Are so both far. of these players, uh, both of these teams, candidates to win the title? I think it's tough to put Oklahoma in that category right now, given just what we've seen from them. I mean, they're coming off a six-one loss to NC State. Uh, tough to put them in the category, and I honestly wouldn't put Duke in the category right now because we just haven't seen enough, right? So I feel like we have one team that we've seen a lot of in Oklahoma, and it's been not great. And then Duke, who I just like, I haven't seen enough from them playing top competition. I I don't know how these players are playing. Go on. <laughs> I I'm I have to go Duke on this one. Uh, I think even with Schneider, it wasn't Oklahoma's best performance. There's just it's t- it's tough to bet on that team right now. By the way, I yeah, I mean. It's just, again, we don't get enough rivalries in college tennis because of how many moving pieces there are. You play three times in 13 months. That's what a rivalry looks like. So this is one to enjoy. 4-3 is the number, regardless of where it goes. And I'm very, very excited for that matchup, which I believe is the noon Pacific time matchup at the Nordstrom Tennis Center. All right. By the way, all those first four matchups happening at the Nordstrom Tennis Center, these next four all happening at the Seattle Tennis Club. Let's move on to that right side of the draw now. We'll start at the bottom. Let's get to it. Marquee matchup. Number two, North Carolina taking on Pepperdine. Now, this was an NCAA quarterfinal matchup last year, won by the North Carolina Tar Heels. I mean, the amount of top 25 players in this match, North Carolina, every player on the roster is top 25. And as I've said before, on the Pepperdine side, Czar, Chen, Brodus, Tim Chaiwat, I'll roll with those four we'll figure out the other two spots anyways. And in Redelic and the Campanas, obviously they have some options down there as well. Do these Pepperdine waves, North Carolina. I'm not sure how healthy your is, but I don't care. Yeah. Forbes at four, Scotty at five, number one, Fiona Crawley at one Reese Brantmeyer at two. Like, again, these are all household names. Carson Tangillig at three. Like we know all the pieces, even Riley Tran. If she's at six, she was a top 40 player at points throughout the course of last season to some extent it's super team versus super team and it's a round of 16 freaking battle here jay look north carolina three-time defending national indoor champions elizabeth scotty has never lost at this event in her career this is going to be a special match there is obviously these two teams have played like pepperdine north carolina 2021 NCAA semifinals goes the ways of the waves. North Carolina Pepperdine 2022 NCAA quarterfinals goes the way of the Tar Heels. Which what's the difference between the two matches? One of them was indoors, it was won by the Tar Heels. One was outdoors, it was won by the Waves. This match is indoors, Jay. It's delight. It's it's going to be fantastic. I mean again, let's start with the Tar Heels given the case. Well, I mean, you can just point to the banners, right, of how many times they have won this indoor this indoor title. And and look, I mean, they have, you know, top to bottom, just top 25 players. <laughs> I mean, Elizabeth Scotty was demolishing players at indoors at number two last year, hardly losing games. And now she will be at five for them. 
right? I think that their doubles has looked extremely solid. You have Elizabeth Scotty, NCAA doubles champion. You have Reese Brantmeyer. Uh, you know, you have Fiona Crawley and Tangillig, number one team in the country. So doubles is extremely strong. I mean, we've talked so much about this North Carolina team. The case is that they can win at one through six. And if any one of those players wins, they they feel good about every single position in that lineup. Yeah, they're really freaking good. And again, you look at their doubles teams and they're laughable because it's like, oh, Crawley and Tangillig, who were the second best team in college tennis in the fall, they're your two. And it's because Brant Meyer, who's winning pro events and NCAA doubles champ Elizabeth Scotty are one. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Oh, you're just going to throw Abby Forbes, an All-American at three with Riley Tran, who's had a ton of success in doubles as well. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, it's the options they have. And, you know, again, the matchups are fascinating in this one, right? Because for this Pepperdine team, you feel like you're going to win the top four in every match that you play. And, you know, again, Rodis versus I think Tangillig at the yeah. three spot in this match. Like talk about the athleticism. You're going to see each of these players do things that like 0.1% of elite tennis players can do on the court. And like, they're going to be spiking high backhand volleys. That's the point. And again, if you're playing North Carolina, you need big guns. This team has big guns. I talk about the, how great North Carolina doubles is. I think Chen and Brodus could walk into the WTA top 100 right now. Like again, Savannah Brodus hit this high backhand volley against Clemson that literally my jaw dropped. It's like my I had a coach growing up who worked with Anna Kornikova. Shout out to being from West Bloomfield, Michigan, that area. And he used to talk about like you could see the athleticism for her. She would like do these box jumps that and like spike balls that no one else could. That's Brodus. Like it's just. It's electric. And then again, Chen, her serve, her forehand, non-negotiable weapons. Czar has you on court for a minimum two hours. And if you don't have a weapon to hurt her, she's beating you. Tim Chai Watson, All-American. Like, that's their top four. They have their own big guns in this battle. Talk to me what you like about this Waves team. Yeah, I mean, you talk about doubles with Chen and Brodus at number one. I mean, they set, they saved at least five match points to stay on the court against Blake and Blockina at number one doubles this weekend. In the rare action we did see from them, you know, they're a top doubles team in the country. That is a fun number one doubles matchup. But I was actually really impressed by Zar and Tom Chaiwat at number two. Lisa Zar has improved tremendously in doubles since a few years ago, and she pairs extremely well with Tom Chaiwat, who is just so solid from the baseline. And Lisa Zar is actually like up and around moving uh, up at net. Uh, their number two team is really good as well. Look, the the calculus here for Pepperdine is narrower than North Carolina's. We apologize for the technical difficulties that'll happen from time to time. Of course, we're in the midst of our Pepperdine, North Carolina preview. Jay, what we were discussing when things went awry is just look, the, the options might be a little bit tighter for Pepperdine. I think the battle between Tim Watt and Forbes at that number four spot, that's my inflection point. Because again, Pepperdine has the big guns. They play loose. They play free. They're not afraid of this North Carolina team. They've seen them before. They're not the big bad wolf. And so, you know, again, I think this is going to be a really good matchup. Your thoughts on that inflection point. I think it's fascinating. You say again, North Carolina either loses this match or wins the tournament. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think 
I wouldn't even say that number four is an inflection point for Pepperdine. I think it's a must win because I think else they have to sweep one through three if they get dubs, right? So look, this is why I'm so pissed about this match being a round of 16 match because look, give Pepperdine one match indoors playing under a roof, getting that experience, taking literally on indoors, literally indoors, right? They've only played two matches this season. They haven't played an indoors match like they got to play at least one match. Then let's make this a quarterfinal. Then I feel like this is going to be an absolute battle. You talk about Pepperdine, you know, swinging freely. And I think they do. I just want them to be, you know, having that experience under their belt for that reason alone. And North Carolina coming in just much more tested. I think you have to lean North Carolina because the margins are much thinner for this Pepperdine team. This was a quarterfinal match. We see Pepperdine in action. Look, Pepperdine has the pieces, doubles one through four to upset North Carolina. It's going to be a really freaking good match. And again, it's one we've seen in big stages repeatedly of late. Rivalries are are fleeting in college tennis. Duke, Georgia, uh, excuse me, Duke, Oklahoma is certainly one of them. I think this is one as well. And by the way, Pepperdine's going to have chances to make it up. They still have a loaded schedule. The winner-loser of this plays the winner-loser Virginia, Michigan. That's a great second match as well. With that said, Jay, money where the mouth is. Make the pick. North Carolina 4-2. I love it. All right, let's move up the draw here now to that aforementioned Michigan-Virginia match. Look, Three wins, two over Oklahoma State, one over Oklahoma. They've beaten Kansas as well. This Michigan team has about as nice of a resume as any team you would want to face. That said, they're taking on a Virginia team that's looked pretty darn solid throughout the course of this 2023 season. Now, again, relatively untested, I would say, are the who's so far. But certainly you look at what this group was able to accomplish uh, with their kickoff weekend victories. They get, uh, what was it, the 4-1 win over Washington State, 4-1 win over South Carolina as well. You know, wins over William Mary, James Madison, Richmond as well to complement this season. I mean, look, one through six, Michigan's got proven commodities everywhere. And with how well Lily Jones is competing as a freshman at that number five spot, she's backed up what we saw from her in the fall. That said, again, from an experience perspective, this Virginia team they've got a lot of options. Adams, Chervinsky, Collard, Subash, Ziadato, you know, shoes looked pretty good so far as well, Jay. This is just a this is an old fashioned brouhaha. As I like to say, this is a juicy matchup start with, by the way, this is Jay versus Alex for what it's worth. Uh, start with the number seven seeded Cavs, what you've seen from them so far, what you'd like as their case. Well, it's tough, right? They very much fall into that category of, yeah, we've seen them play matches. We just haven't seen them against really difficult competition. You know, that kickoff weekend, South Carolina, that was without Sarah Hamner. So it's been, you know, fairly easy going for Virginia so far. They've hardly dropped points. So they will come into this one of the more untested teams uh, on the on the year. And they also have a lot of new pieces, right? They have experience in a Julia Adams who's been anchoring them at number one. But, you know, she's never been to indoors. I don't think Furman has made it in the last few years. And then you have freshman and Annabelle Shue, you know, so They've got new new factors here uh, for Virginia. I think what you feel good about is you feel good about Subash and Travinsky at two and three, right? Those are players who anchor the two and three spots 
for this Virginia team who made the NCAA quarterfinals last year. And you feel good about Heba Sheik, Sarah Ziadato, who anchored five and six um, last year. So those are the parts you feel really good about. They'll be facing you know, some players in this Michigan lineup who don't have that experience, certainly not at this uh, at, at indoors or against this level um, uh, and this yeah. visibility. Yeah, and Virginia hasn't dropped the set in doubles so far, 12-0, and 0, perfect. And regardless of the level of competition, yeah. that is still an impressive start. Flip side, Michigan blew a match point, still took the doubles against Oklahoma State. They win a tough 4-2 battle there. And then to quote Coach Bernstein, maybe most impressively, they follow that up, no letdown. They beat Oklahoma State pretty solidly in battle number two between the two yeah. schools within the week. They're tested. They've been on the road. It is their first time here since 2020, and no one on this team except for, I think, Sir Don was a member of that 2020 uh, indoors team. Talk to me about the strengths of this Wolverines roster. What's their case here? Well, slowly but surely, they have a, a top two that they feel extremely good about. Best know, since Bectus and Ronit, no doubt. Yeah, it's not at that level. but yeah, No, 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 but I'm saying like <laughs> – Best sense. Like, with like Fahey and Minor, like Bectus and, yeah. and Ronan, it's like it's like that's you need a top two like that to be in this tier. And you're right, they do have it. Yeah, it's a Fahey Minor is a better sure. analog. Uh but look, they can win at one and two against all these teams, particularly indoors, right? And they, you know, although maybe you let Kari Miller better outside, but look, they have a top two that can anchor this lineup. And what they have proven in these matches against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State twice is that they have very real depth uh, in this uh, in this Michigan team. Now, I'm curious to see how that is tested against a Virginia team who coming into this season, we talked about their depth, right? They could likely play the same players they played in the quarterfinals of last year's NCAA in the same positions. We just haven't seen that Virginia depth tested so far. I think Michigan coming in, doubles has been better, right? You like them to at least get one of the top two. And then I think Michigan, you start to lean them at four and then maybe five and six starts to swing Virginia's way, but we just haven't seen that. This is a matchup that I feel very confident in Michigan taking. If not four, they've just been extremely tested uh, in a way that Virginia hasn't. So what's the swing match? Well, the swing match for... Michigan is probably if they can take number three Fliegner over Travinsky. That kind of feels like the blowout knockout punch. Mm-hmm. Flip side for Virginia. Yeah. I think Virginia needs to win two, three, five, and six. Yeah. I, I think, think so. I think, uh, or who's five for Virginia? Well, it might be Heba Shake. Hervers Jones is the one I would circle as well. I think that's a big one. Yeah. Is Jones going to be at five? Uh, that's a good question. It's something that remains to be seen. Again, who will be at three, four, five? You know, what will Michigan do? Where will they put Gala? Where will they put, uh, again, you know, will we see Nicole Hammond? I think it's all yeah. fun questions worth but, asking. How healthy is Gala? Yeah, I think that's Virginia's calculus, though. They have to rely on the players that they had in last year's team, and that's at two, three, five, and six. What's Michigan's? Well, I... You know, I actually like Michigan in doubles, right? I like Michigan okay. at one for sure. Um, and then I like them at four. 
depending on who they play, but if Virginia plays Annabelle Shue, this is big lights for her. Shue um, versus Jones at four, a couple freshmen. How fun yeah, would that be? Yeah, and you probably like Shue in, indoors, but you know, we've see, just seen more of Jones, right? Um, and then I think that they can get one of, I think they can get Travinsky at three as well. Interesting. So with that said, give me the pick. I think Michigan 4-2. This All is right. like a on-paper, very even match that I feel very confident in Michigan taking. All right. Jay's taking Michigan 4-2. Well, then let's move to our final quarter of the draw. Let's go to the hottest team in the country right now, number six, Ohio State. They'd be in Oklahoma. They'd be in Oklahoma State, Georgia, Tennessee, Old Dominion. They've won six first sets in a couple of matches. They get five in singles against uh, against Georgia as well. But look, they're taking on a team they know in Auburn. And this was a really fun 4-3 match between these two two schools last year at the National Indoors. A lot of returners on the roster. Obviously, for this Ohio State team, the rise of Shelly Berizniak, who's healthy, playing such good tennis to start this season for Auburn. They've got a couple of freshmen, though, contributing right away as well. Start with the Buckeyes, Jay. Your reaction to their win over Georgia, your thoughts on their calculus in this one. I said this earlier. I have no no idea what to make of that win over Georgia. I'm not sure I put much stock in it, to be honest. I think that the Georgia team, you know, used all their fight in that North Carolina match and run out of gas on the road in Columbus. But so I'm not sure that Ohio State is probably somewhere in between uh, where they are are ranked right now and where they were ranked. Uh, but look, it's indoors. I think Ohio State right now is looking very solid. You know, one through six, the Bresniak addition uh, this season playing in the lineup, playing so well has allowed them to keep some of their experience down at you know six. Um, they have not looked good in doubles. I think that's been one of the weaker spots for Ohio State. Um, but look, I mean, Sidney Ratliff emerging at the one position. The big thing for them has been having, you know, Arena Contos, who has previously played at the top of the lineup here, factoring in at number three. Uh, so if that's if that's you know, full strength and Boulay is firing on all cylinders to hold down that number two position. So Ohio State team that can win it at every single position. What you really like is it's basically all returners, right? Yeah. Like these players have all been through some of them are fifth years. It's a very, very experienced Ohio State team, which is juxtaposed to the uh, the Auburn team. I would expect to see Contos over Boulay this weekend. I would expect to see Allen over Brisniak as well. Those would be my two takes for you. Why Contos over Boulay, given that Boulay's played two this I entire season? I think Arena's season. been too good. I just think, mm. I, I just don't know if they're going to be able to get away with it, to be mm. honest. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And and then again, I think they got options four, five, six right now. We'll see what they are. Flip side, again, this is an Auburn team that was at this event last season. And sorry, Arsenault, Flack, they all competed here. Now, still no Ovunk for this group, but... Bennett's been solid. Uh, Comicella, I believe is how you say it, has been solid as well. Honestly, so has Okuchi. Uh, Okatori, thank you. Um, it's been a long day throughout the course of the early parts of the season. They got tested kickoff weekend. They ultimately get through a couple of tough matches. Um, I mean, look, again, veterans eh, veterans everywhere. This is an aggressive Auburn team. I think they'll be ready to play indoors as well. What's the case? What's the path? 
Well, this is an Auburn team that's coming off of an extremely close 4-3 match at Texas Tech, right? Came down to a third set tiebreak at number two singles. Carolyn Ansari got the win there. I feel like this Auburn team is probably going to feel like they're playing with house money a little bit, right? Without their number one player in Selene Ovonk, everyone has had to step up into new roles that maybe they weren't expecting to have to fill this season, you know, particularly Arsenal and Ansari at one and two. And then I think the the hard part for this Auburn team is they do have three freshmen right there in the middle of the lineup at three, four, and five. So not only are these players new to indoors, but they're still adjusting to college tennis. You know, Okatori, a spring admin, right? So she's still adjusting. And they're facing on, from an experience standpoint, just a team in Ohio State that has a lot more experience in indoors, in college tennis. I think for Auburn to take this match, their calculus starts with doubles. I thought... Overall, doubles has looked decent to start the year. I think they have to get, you know, one or number two. They just have to get one of those off the board. They probably have to get six uh, with with Flock um, and then one of, you know, I, I think Ogatori has looked good as well as um, uh, Caitlin at five. Um Nice Nelly, I think is the right pronunciation, but sure. uh, yeah, I think one of the freshmen needs to step up, um, you know, potentially DJ Bennett, her weapons indoors. You really like uh, particularly, you know, if she's playing, you know, Boulay, right. So that's kind of a bang, bang match. Um, but I think the experience of Ohio state really uh, proves out here. I like the Buckeyes for one. All right. he's right to a pick there. If there is a swing match, what is it? Uh, I'll go, I'll go Boulay Bennett. If you think Boulay is going to play three, I think it, Bennett can get that win at three. I think Auburn's in the conversation. I think it's Arsenal Ratliff at one. I think the experience of Arsenal, Sydney Ratliff, who's looked very good, certainly has the skills to play one. But again, Arsenal, a few more reps in those top two spots. I think that's one Auburn's got to have. If they win that, they might be in the fight if Ohio State wins it. Just again, the strength at the bottom of the lineup, the experience factor, that might be where they separate. But still, 4-3 last year, these teams know each other. It's going to be a fun battle between these two. Our last round of 16 match, the tennis gods said, hey, neither of you like to play indoors. Fine. We'll have you play one another as third seeded Texas A&M takes on San Diego. Now, this A&M team, of course, lost just two matches last season. Meanwhile, the San Diego program into the national indoors for the first time in program history. That said, all well, six they, of they've San- made it before. We just don't know what year. Yes, exactly. Well said. Um, all that in mind, the San Diego team does have six returners it brings back who all have college tennis experience. Now they get a transfer over from Texas Tech and Kaylee Evans, but she got plenty of reps uh, during her time playing for uh, the Raiders. And I mean, again, they've got not a lot of match indoor chops, but you go beat Georgia Tech, beat Cal on the road. Those are two impressive victories to keep your uh, get your season started, even with the losses they've taken against USC and Arizona State. You know, meanwhile, when this A&M team was forced inside, they struggled against Florida. Earn a 4-2 win in the kickoff weekend, but again, they don't play a ton of indoor tennis. That said, Brandstein, Stoyana, Ewing, Goldsmith, you know what you're getting there. The talented freshman, Smetnikov, Kupris, where will they be in the lineup? 
saying the M team's really good on paper. They've got plenty of experience of their own. They looked fine indoors. You know, again, yes, their two losses last year both happened to come indoors. They were both 4-3 losses. I think this A&M team might have a chip on their shoulder, Jay. I'm very fascinated to see what they bring to this event. What are you looking for most from their lineup here to start? Well, I'll first say it's a very favorable draw for okay. Texas A&M of, you know, of any of these teams here that they could have likely faced. I think this one most favors them, right? You're talking about a team that doesn't play indoors at all. This is a San Diego team that's also coming off a loss, right? They just lost to Arizona State 5-2. They're 2-2, two two, uh, right? So, the, yes, they got through that Cal region, um, but this is a, a very favorable match for Texas A&M, um, who, again, they're undefeated, but we still haven't seen them play, you know, top 16 teams. The best match that they've played was that Florida match at the second round of kickoff weekend. Um, I think for Texas A&M, you know, doubles is is a strength for them. I think I'm most curious to see five and six. I think we know, you know, what we're going to get from the players you mentioned in Brandstein, Stoyana, uh, Ewing, and, um, and JC Goldsmith. Um, I'm curious to see who plays five and six. I think Cooperis has, you know, looked okay uh, coming in as a freshman. Do they play Morales, who had the experience at indoors last year? Do they play Smetnikov, another freshman? I'm curious to see who plays at five and six. And also, you know, it feels like JC Goldsmith only loses for them indoors. So that's uh, something to look for. But overall, I think that this is a really great, I mean, Pepperdine is looking at this being like, why couldn't we get this indoor match first to get some indoor play under our belt before going into the quarterfinals. But um, so that's what, how I look at the Texas a match. Yeah. I mean, I think talking to coach Weaver, I think Cooper's is going to be at four. I feel pretty confident about that heading into this weekend. Now, will we see Smitnikov, Morales, Pilot? I would lean towards the freshman who I think coach Weaver is pretty excited about as well. But again, Playing a San Diego team, playing their first match at indoors, that'll be the fascinating thing. Do you turn with a veteran or is this the opportunity to test one of your younger players? And if they play Evans at six, that's a really tough first battle for whomever plays there uh, for the Aggies at AM. Look, for San Diego, I think they need six. I think they would need calling at one over Brandstein. Yes. What's their pathway to four points, though, Jay? I think it starts with those two because they've been, obviously been so good. I know. I think it's doubles one and you would like Desniakov, but that's a tough match if she, she's playing two against Stoyana. So I think it's those honestly give me doubles one, five and six. Right. Okay. I mean, I think Goldsmith has only lost indoors uh, for whatever reason. So I think that that's a match. And if she's at five, um, San Diego has to take, has to take that match. And by the way, this is San Diego team that's playing Baylor. Oklahoma, you know, they've already played Arizona State and USC. They scheduled hard this year. They're trying to push themselves to be in top 16 position. And again, to get a look at the best of the best, to be able to compete with them. This is a big moment for a team that's not power five. Yes, they're in the Pepperdine Conference. And boy, if they could get one for Pepperdine, then they're definitely in the top 16 conversation. Are you there with them for this matchup? What's your, what's your prediction? What's your calculus? I'm not there with them for this match. I think Texas A&M is the heavy favorite in this match. I think this will be 
a 4-0 match. All right. That said, then those are your round of 16 breakdowns, our predictions for how Friday's play unfolds. Of course, we'll have all of it here on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel. Now, before I let you go, a couple other things I want to do. First, Diana Schneider. She makes her debut. She's eligible. She will be playing in this 2023 season. Three sets against Tennessee, but she does ultimately get the victory. Your reaction to all of it? Well, I'm I'm glad she's eligible. I'm glad she's playing. I'm glad we're no longer in the waiting game. You know, she will not be under the Blaze Bicknell issue of will she, won't she for the entirety of the season. She will no longer be, you know, governed by the Jensen Brooksby rule of, well, he never played a match. Is he really counted as a college tennis player? She's played college tennis. So she is uh, fully immersed in that team. It sounds like we should expect to see her in a good portion of their matches this year. I think it's great for college tennis. I think it is great PR for college tennis. I don't, you know, know all of the the factors. Uh, I'm it's unfortunate for NC State that she wasn't eligible until the week after kickoff. I think that is unfortunate for us as fans and certainly something that they're, you know, feeling like, why couldn't this have happened a week ago? Uh, but look, this certainly changes the calculus for NC State and for a lot of these teams who will have to face NC State. Yeah, very well said. It's going to be crazy. We have a top 100 player in college yeah. tennis. That hasn't happened in a very long time. All right, we talked about the seeding. We should have done this at the start to show the comparison. Let's show our top 10 rankings entering these national indoors because we have now a month of results. Here's where things sit right now. We have North Carolina 1, Texas 2, Stanford 3, Pepperdine 4, AM five, Duke six, Ohio State seven, NC State back up to number eight, Michigan at nine, Virginia at ten. Reaction, Jay. The I have all the same teams with the exception of Georgia in the top ten. I don't think Georgia I think Georgia's being overly punished for that loss to uh Columbus and honestly not rewarded enough for what they did in Chapel Hill. So that's the one team I have in. Other than that, it's directionally uh very similar in kind of like clumps. Um I, I'm very, not really surprised I've, by any of these. I very much agree. I have Vanderbilt over Virginia just because they have the NC State win. I think that's a little bit better than anything Virginia's done thus far, but I can't knock you for having Virginia in there and I don't yeah, have Virginia in there. Yeah. No, I'm saying Georgia. We, no, I'm saying we have Virginia in there. I'm Uh-oh. saying more broadly, like I can't knock anyone who puts Virginia in there. So, yeah, it's, it, 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 this feels about right directionally. NC State should be in there, especially now they have Schneider. I have Ohio State a little higher, but not by much. Like, yeah, this feels about right. I was trying to see how we had Virginia in here, and it's totally Chris's fault. Yeah, I think Chris has them. Has he has them, them like, like six. six. <laughs> yeah, and he has a yeah. That's Chris for you. That's just yeah. that's that's typical Chris Hellier's. But that's our top ten. Obviously, we'll see how things shake out. We have Pepperdine four, North Carolina one. That's a round of sixteen matchup. So buckle your seatbelts, folks. Things are going to get fun. For the record, ITA comes up with a really fun graphic matches of the week. Let's show that now as we have it. They have TCU Baylor on Wednesday. One we have to circle. Ohio State's going to take on Virginia, by the way, before the national indoors begins on the men's side. Those are two really fun matches on the women's side. 
you got the national indoors folks what else can you hope for some fun non-d1 matches on the board as well tyler versus colin case versus wayne state you know again those are some really fun uh matchups across the board so yeah buckle your seatbelts, folks not only do we have five tour level events this week i think pound for pound this is where we end our conversation I think pound for pound, this is the best weekend in the college tennis calendar because you have three days consecutively of eight top 16 battles. Like it's just there is a consolation draw. There is no day off. So you lose. You're still in the action. I just think pound for pound, it's the best weekend on the calendar. Jay, what say you? Yeah, and that that consolation round is extremely meaningful, right? You can lose first round and still go two and one, get two top 12, top 10 victories. I mean, those matches are honestly just as good as as many of the matches you'll see in the main draw so yes the big difference here versus ncaa's is there is this backdrop of very meaningful matches of which teams will care a lot about so tons of action and we'll have so many inputs into who's good who's disappointing where the rankings gonna fall just so much input after indoors yeah no very well said and With all that in mind, folks, we will have coverage first ball to last starting this Friday, 9 a.m. Pacific time, 12 a.m., 12 p.m. Eastern. And we'll have it all for you. We'll figure out who that national indoor champion will be. Of course, we have more tennis in the immediate future. We've got Baylor TCU, which you see on your screen. We've got that tomorrow for all of you here on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel, 7 p.m. Eastern time start. It's going to be Chris Hallioris and Will Blumberg on the call for that one, as I will be on a plane on my way to Seattle. With that in mind, of course, we have moved our men's edition of the Deciding Point to Thursday night. But rest assured, we will still have that show for all of you listeners this week. With all that said, Jay, any final thoughts before we wrap our ITA National Indoor Round of 16 preview episode? No, I'm looking forward to it. I will uh, see everyone in Seattle. Well, here's what I'm going to ask you for. No cop-out. Finals champion. Give it to me. Well, let me scroll back up to my predictions. I thought well, I had been left on. So here's the thing. I like Texas to get to the semifinals, and I think they will play Duke. I think Duke wins that match, but only because... Sorry, I think Texas wins that match only because... Duke has to go through a gauntlet of Oklahoma and either the winner of Stanford, Georgia. They have to play that third day. I think Texas kind of smooths sails through the semifinals. And then I have North Carolina beating Texas in the final. All right. Very chalk. Yeah, you heard it there from Jay. Number one versus number two in the final. North Carolina capturing a fourth straight. We will find out this weekend whether that comes true or not. With all of that said, four are fantastic co-host john j parsons our super producer daniel westoff our friends at ls and swing vision and from all of us here at both crack rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i'm your host alex gruskin jay what do we tell our listeners hey great shot and we will see you all this weekend thanks everyone 